On the 1st of August 1941, Sergeant John Anderson of the 6th Battalion Sussex Home Guard helped two volunteers with their rifle drill. Unfortunately, he'd mistakenly included a live round with the blanks. My name is John Pope. I'm a volunteer speaker with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission and have an interest in the ordinary men and women who served in extraordinary times. Some were volunteers and some were conscripts. Some had the time of their lives, whilst others were scarred mentally and physically or simply failed to return home to their loved ones. They weren't all heroes and they weren't all decorated, but for most, war at home and abroad was an experience which shaped them and changed them. Drawing on books, official records, internet resources and personal recollections from friends and families, I've pieced together just some of the stories of those who served. Join me in this episode to learn more about Sergeant John Anderson of the 6th Battalion of the Sussex Home Guard. John Grenville Anderson was born near Liverpool in September 1881. His mother and father were both school teachers and he did well at school, qualifying as an electrical and mechanical engineer in 1905. The outbreak of World War I interrupted his career and he joined the Lancashire Fusiliers, rising to the rank of Lance Sergeant. He was wounded during the later stages of the Battle of the Somme with a bullet to the chest and the stomach but he was fortunate to survive further action on the lease and Ypres, and by 1919 he was discharged from the army with a disability pension. So what next for John Anderson? Like many who returned from World War I, employment opportunities were few, and many struggled to reintegrate back into civilian life. Far from returning to an engineering job, John tried his hand as the manager of a cotton mill in India, sailing on the SS Kulna to Bombay, on the eve of his 39th birthday, the 25th of September, 1919. The Indian cotton industry enjoyed rapid growth in the period 1850 to 1920, driven by the demand for cotton by the US Civil War and World War I. But by the early 1920s, it had plateaued. Bombay was a main commercial centre with over 80 mills, 90% of which were run by Indian business families. Strong links and commercial competition between Lancashire, the traditional site of the cotton industry in Britain, and Bombay meant there was a steady demand for skilled British managers in Indian mills. It was this that attracted John Anderson to move halfway round the world. In 19th century Britain, automation in cotton mills had boosted productivity and kept costs competitive. Indian mills had traditionally relied upon low-cost manual labour, but the Bombay City Improvement Trust worked hard to encourage the mills to modernise and pay workers improved wages. It was only partly successful, although the epidemics associated with Bombay slums near the fort area had died out, but the lot of the Indian textile worker was still racked by poverty. John, meanwhile, had married Mabel Anderson in 1919, just before he departed for India. She later followed him to Bombay, where their son, also named John, was born. But by 1930, just as the Great Depression was starting to affect other countries outside the US and Europe, 
demand for Indian cotton exports began to fall, and Japanese cotton mills captured the market share. Partly because of the change in economic fortunes and the looming prospect of war in the mid-1930s, John retired as general manager. He, Mabel and their son returned to England in 1937 and settled in the village of Angring-on-Sea in West Sussex. After World War II started and the retreat by the British Expeditionary Force was in full flow, Anthony Eden, then Secretary of State for War, announced on the 15th of May 1940 the creation of a new Home Defence Force. Within 24 hours, a quarter of a million men had signed up to the LDV, the Local Defence Volunteers. By the end of May, when the evacuation from Dunkirk was still in progress, over 400,000 had joined, and this rose to almost 1.5 million by the end of June. 40% of these volunteers had served during World War I, and one East Sussex company allegedly boasted five retired generals, all serving as privates, although this has been hard to verify. One of these volunteers, in fact one of the first, was John Anderson, then 58 years old and listed on the 1939 register as a retired engineer. So the issue facing Anthony Eden at the time was not one of recruitment or experience, but one of supply and equipment. Pictures of men in civilian clothes drilling with broomsticks and pitchforks are part of our national collective memory of that period, and some examples of this are included on the Those Who Served episode extras page. It's worth referencing at this point how our popular culture has influenced how we see the Home Guard, World Wars I and II, and even the French Resistance. Chiefly from Dad's Army, but also Blackadder Goes Forth, It Ain't Half Hot Mum, and Allo Allo, which have created tremendously powerful images in our minds. I once worked as a BBC producer, and our job was to make entertainment, rather than focus on historical accuracy. So British television series often relied upon the well-intentioned but shambolic amateur, doing their best but not quite pulling it off. Would Captain Mannering as an efficient and ruthless military leader have made you laugh? Or Private Pike as a steely-eyed killer? No. Not really. And however you like your comedy, the fact remains that those series of the 70s and 80s contain slightly more artistic licence than grains of truth. For example, there was no shortage of commitment among the LDV. In the first few months after formation, 12 hapless motorists, farmers and agricultural labourers were killed by overzealous patrols, challenging who they perceived to be the enemy insurgents, spies and fifth columnists. In one incident, a farm surveyor working on behalf of the Ministry of Food was beaten and killed after being apprehended by an LDV unit in East Anglia. Whilst it's true that equipping the Home Guard posed problems in the early days, and that several improvised weapons, such as the Sticky Bomb and the Blacker Bombard, were seen more as public relations exercises, by early 1941, many Home Guard units, especially those in the south and east of England, where the threat was gravest, were receiving standard army issue weaponry and modern US imports, supplied under the Lend-Lease Agreement. For his part, Sergeant John Anderson of the 6th Sussex Home Guard was issued with a short magazine Lee-Enfield rifle and 50 rounds of .303 ammunition. As a veteran of World War I, 
His role was to train Home Guard recruits to shoot accurately and safely. Established gunnery ranges were reinstated near Arundel Castle, in the steep chalk valleys north of Swanbourne Lake, and below Sisbury Ring near Worthing, at the north end of the golf course. These ranges had last been used over 40 years before, training members of the Royal Sussex Regiment before service during the Boer War. Anderson was licensed to keep his rifle and ammunition at home, and he trained local volunteers in his back garden, using blank cartridges and a disc sight, a small metal circle on a pole, through which the instructor would peer to ensure the trainee was using the gun sight correctly. A picture of a soldier and instructor using a disc sight at the Hythe School of Musketry during World War I can be seen on the episode extras page. A report in the local newspaper, the Worthing Gazette, dated 6th of August 1941, described how Peter Hallam and Norman Ackerman, both aged 14 of Church Farm Angmering, had been training with Sergeant Anderson for about six weeks. On the 1st of August, Anderson loaded his magazine with five cartridges, one of which was a dud that he collected after a misfire on the gunnery range at Arundel a month or so before. Ackerman reported to the coroner that Hallam had aimed the rifle at the sighting disc, but when he pulled the trigger, Anderson had fallen dead. Dr Chaplin, attending the court of inquiry, told the coroner that death was due to a bullet wound to the head. The coroner heard evidence from other witnesses and Home Guard members, who said, We're at a loss to explain why Anderson, an experienced instructor, had confused a live round with blanks especially as the blanks were drilled. The coroner recorded an accidental death. Sergeant John Grenville Anderson died on the 1st of August 1941 and was buried in St Margaret's churchyard, just a few hundred yards from his home. Over 1,200 members of the Home Guard died during World War II, often due to accidents involving firearms, and a further 5,000 were wounded whilst on duty. Visit any graveyard near where you live and you may see the dark green enamel badge of the Commonwealth War Graves Commission on the wall or gate. There are over 170,000 war graves in Britain from World War I and II, about 1% of the total number globally of graves and memorials to those who died which are cared for by the Commission. Some are in the odd ones and twos and others in small groups whilst larger plots may have a cross of sacrifice, typical of the cemeteries you see in France and Belgium. They may be cared for by the local church, the local eyes-on, hands-on volunteer, and the larger plots will be tended by a mobile gardening team in a Commonwealth Wargraves Commission van. Sergeant Anderson's grave is one of five in St Margaret's, and the Commonwealth Wargraves Commission mobile app, or website, will help you to identify who is buried near you, together with details of burial registration and sometimes next of kin. Through the internet and access to contemporary records, it's far easier for us now to research local war graves, and often the causes of death were quite ordinary. Whilst soldiers, sailors and airmen all died of their wounds, some many months or even years after receiving them, others died from simple accidents, disease or illness. These men didn't have to go over the top, or take part in a major battle, like Sergeant Anderson, 
a simple mistake in the line of duty cost him his life. I'd like to thank members of the Sussex History Forum for access to information and photographs featured on the episode extras page on the Those Who Served website, and to the Commonwealth War Graves Commission for their continued support with information. Until next time, thank you for listening to Those Who Served, with me, John Pope. You can show your support for this free podcast by sharing links on Twitter or Instagram, or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and Amazon Music, or by clicking on buymeacoffee.com, or by donating through the Patreon page on my website. All funds are used to cover the costs of research, production and syndication. You can join in with the show by sharing what details you know of a family member or friend who served in a 20th century conflict. Simply follow the links on the website or contact me directly by email at info at thosewhoserved.co.uk. Thank you.